everybody. You already know who this is. And it's definitely your favorite soul for child. Hey, yeah. Sure, I come back at you once again here at the PEG Podcast. That's Positive Energy Generation. Because we that for life, man. We choosing the positivity through all the negatives going on in the world. And you can't tell me there ain't no negative. There's some people out here being fake going through these phonies we're going through these lies we're going through these deceits these up and downs with life tribulations and trials so i'm telling you it's negative in the world and we got to continue to choose the positive so what best way to come choose positivity than with the pg family all right so right now paul take time to press that follow button uh, yeah <laughs> Go press that follow button, man. Help us continue to give out information. Help us continue to provide content like this for you. So we continue to not only inspire you, but inspire us by inspiring you, by inspiring me, by inspiring us to inspire you. That's how it go, baby. That's how it go. All right, so now you got tapped into the PG family. Now you became part of the wave. All right, don't miss another episode each episode is for you you never know what message is meant for you and you never know what message is gonna touch you okay so let's talk about some previous thing that happened in the previous episode then we go talk about some things that happens in, in this episode and i'm gonna let y'all go you feel me so before we get started it's gonna be lengthy all right for this previous episode that we had tapped in last week man we had some really knowledge some really deep knowledge to come in man so that knowledge that we had was the number one reason why people fail in business by mark cuban by mark cuban he gave you that knowledge and so make sure you guys go check it out we also talked about how to manipulate your energy to create quantum events in your reality your true reality all right with spiritual dive so go take that spiritual dive and spiritual dive and get you some knowledge you feel me take that leap of faith into your quantum events so again spiritual dive it's going to teach you how to manipulate your energy to create quantum events in your true reality. All right. Then we also talked about 10 steps for starting your own business by Young Entrepreneurs Forum. And actually, Young Entrepreneurs Forum brought some real heat. Not only did they talk about how you can start your business, they also talked about how to write a business startup. So go get that information, man. If you're looking to start your business or you're not sure if you're doing the right things in the beginning of your business, Go check out your entrepreneurs forum right now with the PNG family, and we're gonna get you straight, man. And to end, it, to end all that knowledge, because you know, we was really dropping fire last week. We talked about some morning inspiration to motivate your day. So you don't wanna miss any of that. Any of that. If you've been down, it may not have been a good day, it may not have been a good week, or you may just had a good week and you just need to continue to spread positivity within yourself. Go check out the previous episode. It's going to uplift your soul. All right? Woo! All right. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some things that happens in this episode. And I promise, I'm going to let you go. So this upcoming episode, we're going to talk about 16 steps to calm and confident. 16 steps to calm and confident. If you need some calmness in your life, you need some, 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 some ways to be more confident, you want to tune in here to this episode. We also talk, want to talk about why we need sleep. And I'm going to get my peoples from um, the book itself to come talk about it. So we had M. Walker to come talk about this book summary. And this book summary itself is going to tell you why we need sleep. So don't, 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 don't
Nah, nah, bro. You better not miss it. Okay, I'm going to keep your word. You better not miss it. Then I'm going to give you some five affirmations for confidence, self-doubt, and self-sabotage with my peoples. Yeah, yeah, the one and only Miss Yoga Burr herself. So, like I said, we're going to get some affirmations in this episode. Five affirmations for confidence, self-doubt, and self-sabotage by Yoga with Burr. I'm telling you, I can't do it by myself. You can do nothing by yourself. But with a team, I'm telling you, anything is possible. Anything is pop- possible. I'm about to say popple. <laughs> anything is popple. <laughs> All right, so, and we always got to uplift the vibes with these artists. So the artists that I got for you today is my boy, Mr. Andre 3000. Yeah, yeah, Andre 3000 with some vibes from that new Blue Sun. And then we got Dancing in the Shadows by T-S-H-A. So those two artists right there is definitely going to uplift your vibes. So if none of this information uplift you, make sure you tune in right now and get those vibes from these artists. All right. So now you got the previous episodes of the things you missed. That means you need to go check that out before you go check this episode and then dive into this episode. And we appreciate you for being a part of the P-E-G family. That's positive energy generation because we that for life. We're choosing the positivity through all the negative that's going on in the world. And wait, 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 wait. Before you go, you know I gotta breathe because it's been a lot. I've been telling y'all a lot. Before you go, make sure you guys go check out www.pegstyles.com and get you some positivity, man. Alright, I gotta go. This episode is calling my name, man. I gotta go. I'll see you later. Let's get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm noticing more and more often that people tend to avoid spending time alone because it makes them feel lonely. Whenever they experience a form of anxiety, they seek the company of others to escape their negative thoughts. To be honest, I do it as well. We all do. As social beings, we are wired to seek connection and validation from others, and it's important. But I have come to realize that constantly running away from solitude may not be the healthiest approach of living. Always relying on external sources for our happiness can make us too dependent on others. It can leave us with an incomplete understanding of ourselves. In fact, I've discovered that learning to embrace and enjoy spending time alone can really improve our mental health and emotional well-being. It's actually a powerful form of self-care and self-discovery. In the realm of psychology, spending time alone has been linked to a stronger sense of independence and self-resilience, which makes sense. It is an opportunity to peel back the layers of our thoughts and emotions. Without the distractions, we can truly tune in to our inner world and gain a deeper understanding of ourselves, who we are and what we truly want. In those moments of being alone, we confront our fears, heal our wounds and find a sense of inner peace. By facing our emotions head on, we release the baggage that weighs us down and open ourselves up to a newfound freedom and clarity. Remember, being alone does not mean you're lonely. It is an invitation to deepen the connection with yourself. It is a sacred space in which you replenish your energy, explore your passions, and cultivate self-love. 
in this space you are in full control, so there is little room for disappointment and unmatched expectations. To become more comfortable spending time with yourself, start small. Create moments in your day where you can disconnect from the noise of the world and truly connect with yourself. Don't pull out your phone every time you have a moment of free time and don't drown out the world with music whenever walking somewhere. You don't need a distraction from the silence. Reflect on your thoughts instead, listen to your inner voice and allow yourself to be fully present in the moment. When you have the whole day for yourself, don't just stare at the screen all day. Of course that will make you feel horrible. Go outside to explore the world and yourself. Try new activities and you'll find new hobbies that will make you enjoy your life a little bit more. If there are things you really want to do, places you really want to visit, but you're waiting for someone to join you, remember that in most cases you can do it alone. That's why there are so many solo travelers and they don't seem lonely at all. Literally take yourself on a date, go to that restaurant you've been craving or go watch the movie that you've been thinking about. You will then see that you can enjoy life by yourself as well. Of course, it's not always easy. There will be moments of discomfort and unease, but over time you will have a very positive shift in your life. True growth comes in times when you are alone by yourself. I really do believe that. It is in those moments that you will find clarity, self-discovery and a deeper sense of inner peace. So, my friends, I encourage you to join me on this journey. Stop searching for comfort in others, embrace the silence and find happiness in yourself. Welcome. Simple self-doubt can easily turn into incredible self-sabotage, where we lack confidence in ourselves and our abilities, keeping us from doing what our heart deeply wants in life. Whether it be starting a business, public speaking, improving your communication skills, or having healthy relationships. These five affirmations will provide as a reminder that you can do it. You are worthy of feeling seen and heard. This world, this lifetime is yours to experience and explore expression. When we can acknowledge the gifts we have, the voice we have, the tools we have, we can journey into an unlimited world of happiness and peace. We will repeat each affirmation three times. Let's begin. I am worthy of being seen and heard. I am worthy of being seen and heard. I am worthy 
of being seen and heard. I am smart and have so much to offer out into the world. I am smart and have so much to offer out into the world. I am smart and have so much to offer out into the world. I am deserving. I am deserving. I am deserving. I acknowledge that I cannot please everyone, but that is the beauty in using my voice to attract like-minded human beings into my life. I acknowledge that I cannot please everyone, but that is the beauty in using my voice to attract like-minded human beings into my life. I acknowledge that I cannot please everyone, but that is the beauty in using my voice to attract like-minded human beings into my life. I am at peace with myself. I am at peace with myself. I am at peace with myself. Repeat these affirmations every day or anytime you feel like you are lacking self-confidence or need some reassurance. Know that you are worthy of using your voice, you are worthy of being seen, and you matter.
You know how many things that the devil has kept you from doing in your life that God called you to do because of what might happen if you did? And a lot of us, the enemy doesn't even have to fight us with real events or circumstances. Just even the suggestion of a disaster is enough to send some of us into retreat. And so, just even the thought that what if they don't like you is enough to keep you in the house. Or just even a thought if what if they break my heart is enough to keep you from extending yourself in relationship. Or just even a thought, you know, many of you are reluctant to get involved in this church because you had a previous bad church experience. And I understand that because once you have been through a storm, I lived through Hurricane Hugo. I was eight years old when Hurricane Hugo hit Charleston, South Carolina. It terrified me. I didn't want to spend the night away from home for two years after that as a little boy. Because one thing after you have survived a storm, after you have survived bad weather, after you have survived abuse, what people don't tell you about is that even after the storm is over, it still rages on on the inside of you. And the saddest thing in the world is to see a Christian who has been set free by the love of Christ to know that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any other power shall be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. What I'm trying to say, some of us need to fire the devil as our weatherman. We have been consulting the wrong source to find out what our future looks like. And so now we stay indoors and we stay in fear and we stay in paranoia. And we never plant and we never reap. Solomon said, because we watch the wind. What a weird image. You really can't see the wind, you can only see the effects of it. And he says, when you watch the wind, you know, like, is this a good time? I'll give you one. This one looks like to watch the wind. Because I was thinking about that phrase, watch the wind. And I was like, this is not a literal message. I'm not using it to talk about physical storms. I'm using it to talk about when the sower goes to sow, he wants the wind to work with him. And when the wind is blowing the opposite direction, all your seed smacks you in your face. But you ever feel like everything you sow just, you ever feel like stuff just backfires on you? Are you trying to be nice to somebody? That's the last one of those I'm doing. I got to preach this twice tomorrow. I need my brain cells. But you ever just been smacked by your own seed? Because that's what he's saying. When the wind is blowing against you, some, some of you have had the wind against you your whole life. You didn't have the right shoes. Your parents didn't make a lot of money. You had to learn to fit in. You had to learn how to be tough. You had to learn how to be hard, and you learned how to survive a storm. But the problem with that, the only problem with that is sometimes the wind isn't even against you, but you still feel like it is because your mind is collecting evidence in support of a verdict that is no longer accurate. So you watch the wind. Try to find out What's popular? It's, it's not popular. I'm appreciative to our students. They've got rhythm night coming up uh, next next Sunday night, and I want you to talk about this in some form. Tim, is that watching the wind is like trying to determine what's going to gain you clout 
and then you let clout overrule character. And watching the wind is trying to be like, oh, do they like me? Do they like me? Is this what I need to be to be like? That's that's watching the wind. Can I give you another one that's watching the wind? It's needing to be in a good mood to keep your commitments. That's watching the wind. Because some of my weather systems are internal. And I found out a long time ago that usually the mood that you're in when you make a commitment will not match the mood that you're in when it's time to keep the commitment. And so to watch the wind is for those of us who sometimes need to feel it in order to fulfill it. And Solomon says, the, the wisest man, the, the richest man, the, the man who said that to do things for vanity's sake is like chasing after the wind. He uses this metaphor a lot in his, in his book, Ecclesiastes, The Collected Teachings, which are like Proverbs, but it's written in such a way as to convince the knowledge of the universe and the futility of vanity. He uses this image of the wind. Why? Because it is an invisible force. And he says, if you are always checking with and consulting how you feel, you will always find a reason to contradict your responsibility. So there will always be a reason, watch this, that you don't feel like forgiving people. But if you want to be free, you might have to go against your feelings in order to live in freedom. I'm saying you might have to walk against the wind. You might have to forgive against the wind, especially in marriage. I love Holly so much because she decided a long time ago that I was the man for her. She reached the verdict on Ferdick. before she ever took my name as her own. And because she reached the verdict that she loves me and I'm a good man, in our marriage she works to collect evidence to support that I'm the man for her. She could just as easily do the opposite. She could, she could find 15 reasons. Well, he's only five foot nine. He's bigger on screen. You know, she could find 15 reasons. I'm usually moody three and a half days out of seven. She could find 15 reasons not to feel that way about me, but sometimes commitment means facing resistance with resolve in your heart. You can find a reason to leave this church in the next three days if you want one. Matter of fact, the law of averages says that there's somebody on your row right now who, if you get to know them, they will give you a reason to leave this church in the next three days because they will disappoint you with their lack of Christian character. But if you move one person over on the same row, I bet you there's somebody on that row that loves Jesus. There's somebody on that row who is honest. There is somebody on that row that is sincere. But you'll never sow. But see, I'm going to get my. Well, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get my. I'm gonna do the tithing thing, but I'm gonna do it after I get my thing, because the thing 
after the thing is going to do the thing. And then this thing happened. There was the thing, and the, but the economy, but the presidential election. You see how we do it? Consulting the forecast instead of consulting our faith. He who regards the wind or observes the wind will never sow, and he who looks at the clouds will never reap, because it always looks like it could rain any time. And you can't get the harvest in when it's wet. And Solomon didn't have a Weather Channel app. And Solomon didn't have a Weather Channel. He's dealing with people who would consult the conditions before keeping their commitments. Watching the wind. How many people have not started what God told them to start because they've been watching the wind? Been waiting for more spare time. I'm gonna write a book one day. You don't even keep a journal right now. I'm gonna write a book one day. When are you gonna write it? I'm gonna build a cottage in Maine. It's the thing I'm gonna do one day. You got some family land? Nope. It's an imaginary scenario that keeps you from an actual opportunity. Do you see it? Watching the wind is wishing that you had a different wife instead of loving the one that you've got like Christ loves the church. This is getting good. This message is going to be better than your beard by the time I finish with it, my brother. And that's saying a lot. But you know, Peter knew something about watching the wind, though, didn't he? Peter, the apostle who was always wanting to do something impulsive. Sometimes it worked for him. Sometimes it worked against him. But one thing that you got to love about him, he did not wait for perfect circumstances to say. He didn't wait until he had knowledge to give his opinion. <laughs> you ever live with somebody like that? It's terrible. And I noticed something about God, and I wanted to give this to you, because they have these things in church. They say, well, God is an on-time God. Yes, he is. He's an on-time God. He's, he's seldom early, but he's never late. Ask Lazarus if he was ever late. Lazarus, he's about four days late, decomposing body, worms working their way into the eye socket by the time Jesus got there, and Mary and Martha had set their watch by it. Ask Peter if Jesus was ever late. Ask him. Ask him if, if one time they did not get sent out into a storm by the instruction that Jesus gave to go to the other side. Now, this has been really exciting to me as I've studied it this week because the, the real thing of faith is do you trust God's timing? You know that, right? And that was the test for Mary and Martha. Uh, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And she said, Well, uh, you know, I am the resurrection. And she said, Well, I know my brother's going to rise again at the last day. He said, No, I am the resurrection. It wasn't that she didn't trust what he was able to do, it was, Are you able to trust when God is going to do it? You can trust somebody's intention, but not trust their timing. And since I already talked good about Holly in this sermon, let me just say, I trust her with my life. I trust her to be faithful to our marriage vows. 
I trust her if she cooks for me or orders for me off of a menu. I trust she knows what I want to eat more than I want to eat. She knows me like that. I trust this woman with everything but time. When she says it's going to be 30 minutes, I allot three hours because she taught me that her concept of time is different than mine. One is correct, one is delusional. And I trust her. I really do. I trust her. I put her in a room full of supermodels, men, calendar men, and trust her in there. But if she said we're going to leave in an hour, I would set three alarms because I trust her with everything but time. Some of us trust that God is going to get us to heaven one day. Some of us trust that he died on the cross for our sin. We trust him with everything, but let him not do something at the moment that we want him to do it. Let him leave us in the fiery furnace four seconds too long, and we'll be screaming, God, get me out of this. But God said the real test for a mature Christian is do you trust me with my timing? Trusting him in the meantime is where maturity is developed. And Jesus was always doing stuff at a bad time. He was always going to Jerusalem at the time when they all wanted to kill him. That's a bad time to show up when they're looking for you. To execute you. It's a bad time. <laughs> 5,000 men, women, and children show up on the other side. Now, this is right after John the Baptist. And I just want you to know how often God does things in our life at a bad time. Because some of y'all are like, right now in your life, like, well, this is a bad time for me, God. And, and I used to have this friend, every time he called me on the phone, he was so respectful. He would say, Good time or bad time? Always wanted to know that before he said anything else. And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to somebody today, Good time or bad time? And you're like, This is a bad time. I'm too old to be doing this now. I'm too young to be doing this now. I'm too busy to be doing this now. I used to have a better job. I used to have more money. It's a bad time. But God likes to bless people at a bad time. He likes to raise people on the fourth day. And when Jesus had heard that John the Baptist had his head cut off by Herod, it was a bad time. And he wanted to get away from the crowds. So he went over to the other side uh, with the disciples. And when they got there, there was a crowd waiting to get autographs and healing and fish and chips and all this stuff. As a matter of fact, when he did the miracle and he feed the, feeds the 5,000, the first thing the disciples said was what? It's late. It's a bad time. It's a bad time. And, and Jesus, when he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, he did the miracle at a bad time. Now I'm, now I'm divorced. Now I'm a single mom. Now I'm, it's a bad time for me to be believing God. It's a bad time. I, I really wasted a lot of years. It's a bad time for me to be doing this. I, I think I made the wrong decision. I don't even think I'm supposed to live in Roanoke. I don't even think I'm supposed to live in Charlotte. I don't even, it's a bad time. It's a bad place. That's what the disciples said. They said, it's a remote place, and it's already late, so send the crowds away. And Jesus said, no, I, I want to bless them when it's too little and when it's too late, because I want to bless you 
when you think it's a bad time, so I can teach you how to consult your faith instead of consulting your forecast. You got the wrong weatherman. You keep watching the weather, and so now you live in fear of everything that could happen and everything that has happened. And as long as you watch the weather, as long as you, you, you keep that wrong weatherman, this is what God showed me. The weather is meant to be checked, not watched. When you, when you, sit, when you sit around and watch it all day, it scares you. Oh, everything. It's good to plan. It's good to make provision. But don't watch the weather. If you watch the weather, you'll get in your feelings and you'll get out of your faith. And now the wind, watch this, will work against you to contradict the word that God spoke to you. Hey, thank you for watching. Make sure you subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video or live stream. And share this video with a friend. And don't forget, you can join me live every Sunday. Thanks again for watching. Mother. Mother. Sweeter than vanilla. Tell these haters, beat it, can't Jackson thriller. I'm the nigga that you see when you in the mirror. Say my name five times, this what I deliver. This some motherfucking nuke that I'm dropping. The world in my pocket. Duke you out your continent. Always drop hot shit. Toroid don't flow, keep constant. And I won't stop till I reach Christ conscious. Nigga, 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 nigga.
used to worry a lot about everything happening in my life. What if I can't pass the exams? What if I start a new business but fail? What if I can't get my diploma and disappoint my parents? What if I can't find a job after university? What if my friend does not return the money and I can't pay the bills? What if I get fired? What would my friends and colleagues think about me, etc.? Now when I look back, I realize how I was destroying my life. Today, worry and stress is the major cause of many illnesses, such as heart attack and different types of stomach illnesses. People who do not know how to fight worry die young. After all, what is the point of creating a successful business or getting a promotion if it is going to cause you to lose your health? Today, my attitude toward worry has completely changed after reading Dale Carnegie's book called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. The book is very practical, easy to apply, and based on real-life stories and cases. In this video, I will share with you 16 tips from the book that you can use to fight worry. I am sure that at least one or two of these tips will stay with you for the rest of your life. Chapter 1. What is the worst that can happen? When some event takes place, ask yourself this question. What is the worst outcome that can happen? According to Carnegie, things that we believe are really bad are not as bad as we think in reality. I remember when I was preparing for my state exam at the university, I was so worried and stressed, I couldn't sleep at night. It's so stupid, but I believed that if I failed my exam, I wouldn't be able to find a job and people would look down on me. Now, it's already been several years since I passed the state exam and I have worked in several companies, but no single company has asked for my diploma. I've only seen my diploma twice, once when I received it, and second when I was moving from my old flat. That's it. Now I look back and ask myself, was it worth worrying all those times because of this diploma? And the answer is absolutely no. If I had clearly defined the worst outcome, I could see that in the worst outcome, I would not get my diploma, which was very unlikely to happen because if I had passed all those exams during my studies, then it meant I had the potential to pass the state exam as well. Plus, the university provided three attempts to take the exam, and I am sure that I would have been successful at one of them. Even if I failed all three attempts, I would still be able to find a job. It's crazy how we worry and stress out for the things that are not important. The internet doesn't work, we get pissed off. TV breaks down, we get angry. But in reality, can't you live without TV for a few days? Can't you go to a cafe for the internet? Worry and stress reduce our lifespan drastically. Here is a three-step formula. Step one, analyze the situation honestly and figure out what is the worst that can happen to you. Step two, after figuring out what is the worst that can possibly happen, accept it. Accept it as it has happened. Step three, once you accept the worst outcome, Calmly devote your time and energy trying to improve the situation. Acceptance of what has happened is the first step in overcoming the consequences of any misfortune. One of the worst features about worrying is that it destroys our ability to concentrate. When we worry, our minds jump here and there. Acceptance calms us down and lets us focus on the solution. I strongly recommend using this tactic. I've used it already for years and I am amazed how it calms me down immediately because it helps me to see that even the worst scenario is not as bad as I think. Chapter two, how to kick out worry from your mind. 
During World War II, a reporter asked Winston Churchill if he was worried about what was going on. And Churchill replied, I'm too busy. I have no time to worry. Churchill was not trying to look cool or strong. He was simply saying the truth. If you are really busy doing something, then worry can't enter your mind. Today, doctors prescribe patients who suffer from worrying to get busy doing some work. The reason is that it is impossible for any human mind, no matter how brilliant, to think of more than one thing at any given time. Your brain just can't focus on two things at the same time. You can't talk to a customer and at the same time worry about your rent. You can't be happy and at the same time be upset. It is always one of them. You can't be enjoying a nice meal with your friends and at the same time be upset about your broken refrigerator. So if you are worried about something and can't stop thinking about it, then find a job that will keep you busy and require your full attention. The reason I say full attention is because there are certain jobs that have become a habit and you can do them automatically, such as making your bed. The purpose of a habit is to save your brain power. That is why you can make the bed and worry simultaneously. It must be a job that requires your attention. Chapter three, life is too short to be little. In the book, Carnegie tells a story about a giant old tree in Colorado. This tree had stood there for 400 years. During the course of its long life, it was struck by lightning 14 times. And the innumerable avalanches and storms of four centuries could not do anything to that tree. It survived them all. In the end, however, an army of small insects attacked the tree and destroyed it. Storms, lightning, and time could not do anything but small insects, which you can crush between your forefinger and thumb, destroyed it completely. Aren't we all like this giant tree? Don't we somehow manage to survive the storms, avalanches, and lightning of life, but let our hearts be eaten out by little worries? Little worries that could be crushed easily. Let's not allow ourselves to be upset by small things. Remember, life is too short to be little. Chapter 4 how to analyze and solve worry problems. Confusion is the chief cause of worry. Half the worry in the world is caused by people trying to make decisions before they have sufficient information and understanding about the problem. If you devote your time to analyzing facts in an objective way, your worries will evaporate in the light of knowledge. A problem well stated is a problem half solved. So here is a four-step formula to analyze and solve your worries. Step one, write down precisely what is worrying you. Don't just do it in your mind. Write it down on a paper clearly. Step two, write down what you can do about it. What are the possible actions you can take? Step three, decide what to do. Choose the best action from the previous step. Step four, start immediately to implement your decision. Don't stop to reconsider. Don't keep looking back over your shoulder. Experience has proved to me the enormous value of arriving at a decision. It's the failure to arrive at a fixed decision that drives you crazy. It's the inability to stop going round and round in circles that ruins your days and leads to nervous breakdowns. If you follow the above four-step formula, you will see that 50% of your worries will vanish once you arrive at a clear decision. And another 40% will vanish once you start to carry out that decision. 
So you will banish about 90% of your worries by taking these four steps. Maybe right now you are saying that I am making a big claim and it's not possible to eliminate 90% of worries. Maybe you are right. But even if this exercise eliminates 40% of your worries, wouldn't you still do it? I believe it's worth doing it because worry is the root cause of countless illnesses. Wouldn't you be happy even if it eliminates 10% of such a serious problem? Chapter 5. Put a stop-loss order on your worries. In stock trading, there is a common practice called stop-loss. Here's how it works. Say you buy a stock that sells for $100 a share and set a stop-loss order for $90 a share. As soon as that stock dips to $90 a share, you sell it, no questions asked. We should do the same thing with our worries. Let me tell you a short story. When I was approximately 10 years old, I had an argument with one of my friends while playing football, and as a result, we stopped talking to each other. The argument was so small that I don't even remember it. But over the years, I just hated the guy and always got angry when I remembered him. I carried this negative feeling for him for 12 years. I was already living in a different city and studying at university, but we still didn't talk to each other. Finally, one day when I was returning to my village for summer holiday, I saw him near our house and decided to end this hatred between us. I told him that I didn't even remember why we argued and stopped talking to each other. But it's stupid to keep hating each other for a reason that I don't even remember. It turned out that he didn't remember it either. We shaked hands and had some talk after 12 years. It's true that we ended it, but at what cost? We both carried negative feelings toward each other for 12 years. We could have had very nice childhood memories together, especially since we were close neighbors, but none of them happened because of one meaningless argument. We both paid too much. Today, when I remember this event, I feel like I paid $50,000 for a thing that only had a $5 value. In life, many of our worries are only worth $5, but we pay $50,000 for them. We need to put a stop loss order on our worries. We have to decide just how much anxiety a thing may be worth and refuse to give it anymore. Chapter six, don't waste your time thinking about the people you don't like. You don't have to force yourself to love the people you don't like, but for the sake of your health and happiness, forgive and forget them. When you hate someone, you don't harm that person. It's the opposite. You actually reward him with your most important things, such as by being sleepless, you give him your sleep. By losing your appetite, you give him your appetite. By increasing your stress, you give your health. The most important thing you can do is bury your hate and move on. Chapter seven, would you take a million dollars for what you have? If I come to you right now and give you $100 million for one of your eyes, would you sell it to me? How about this? Would you sell your arm for 100 million? You probably would not. Here you have at least two things you would not sell for $100 million each. But you worry and lose your health so that you can have more money or position. You know what this looks like? It's like you have a Ferrari, a dream home, and a private plane. But you are willing to lose all of it so that you can buy a 2010 model Hyundai. About 90% of the things in our lives are right, and about 10% are wrong. 
If we want to be happy, all we have to do is concentrate on the 90% that are right and ignore the 10%. Chapter 8. Live in day-tight compartments. What does this mean in the first place? If you look at the bottom part of a ship, you will see that it is divided into many compartments or rooms. And the reason is that if some part of the ship starts getting water inside, they can quickly shut the doors of that compartment and avoid sinking the entire ship. In a similar way, if you want to avoid flooding your life with worries, then you have to shut the doors of yesterday and tomorrow. Only focus on today. The best way to prepare for tomorrow is to concentrate with all your intelligence doing today's work superbly today. Today you worry about tomorrow, yesterday you worried about today. Now pause for a moment and check if the things you worried about yesterday came true today. 90% of the time you will see that they didn't come true, but you still wasted your precious time on this planet for things that did not even happen. Your life is like a sand clock. I'm sure you have seen one. The top part of the sand clock represents the future. The bottom represents the past. And the middle narrow part represents today. Many of us worry about the future or the past so much that we forget to do anything today. Worrying about the future is like trying to push down all the sands so that they come and pass faster through the narrow part. But it does not matter what you do. The sand will come and pass one by one when its time has arrived. Don't push it. Let one sand pass at a time. Live one day at a time and work on one task at a time. If you do this, you will be amazed how much you can accomplish within one day and feel much happier. Chapter 9. The Law of Averages One of my close friends was going to fly for the first time and he was really scared. He was afraid that an airplane would explode in the air or some other type of accident would happen and he would die. So, to calm him down, I decided to use Carnegie's Law of Averages approach. The Law of Averages refers to the probability of a specific event occurring. I did some research and found that the company that my friend was flying with had already existed for more than 20 years. And in those 20 years, they only had one accident which took place on the ground while the plane was taking off. And even in that accident, not a single person was injured. They made at least 30 to 40 flights a day for 20 years, and only one minor accident took place. According to the law of averages, the chances of my friend dying on that flight was almost zero. When I told him the statistics, he started to look at the issue logically and felt much better and realized that he had no strong base for his worries. Carnegie says that the U.S. Navy employed the law of averages in order to boost sailors' morale. Sailors who were assigned to high-octane tankers were initially worried that they would die if the tankers exploded. So the Navy provided them with exact figures. They said that of the 100 tankers that were hit by torpedoes, 60 stayed afloat and only 5 sank in less than 10 minutes. When the sailors heard about the numbers, they realized that even in the worst scenario, they had 10 minutes, which is quite enough time to evacuate. Chances are good that whatever you're worried about isn't likely to happen. So always ask yourself this question. According to the law of averages, what is the probability of this event happening? In some cases, you will find that probability is close to zero, but you worry about it a lot. Chapter 10, how to eliminate 50% of your business worries. 
In the book, Carnegie tells a story about a manager who spent most of his time in meetings discussing the problems of the company with his team. The manager said that he would usually attend a meeting and after many hours of discussions, he would leave the meeting frustrated without concrete action or decision. He continued to work in this way for several years, but then decided to apply a new four-step formula. According to the new formula, anyone who wanted to bring any problem to his attention first had to answer the following four questions. Question one, what is the problem? Question two, what is the cause of the problem? Question three, what are all possible solutions of the problem? Question four, what solution I suggest? The reason these questions are very effective is because the majority of the time, we jump on the problem to solve it without clearly understanding what we are really solving and where this problem comes from. I'm sure you have been in a meeting at work where you start discussing a problem and at some point you feel like everyone is talking about different topics. After you answer the first and second questions, the solution usually pops up like bread, popping up from a toaster. The manager said that after implementing this approach, it completely changed his life because most of the time people would find the solution by themselves after answering the questions and they did not have to bother him. Even if they brought some problem to his attention, it would take just a few minutes of discussion to decide what solution to implement. Chapter 11, Don't Cry Over Spilled Milk. In the book, there is an interesting story about a man who would worry a lot. He said one morning our class entered the science laboratory and there was the teacher, Mr. Brandwine, with a bottle of milk placed on the edge of the desk. We all sat down, staring at the milk and wondering what it had to do with the hygiene course he was teaching. Then all of a sudden, Mr. Brandwine stood up, swept the bottle of milk with a crash into the sink and shouted, don't cry over spilt milk. He then made us all come to the sink and look at the wreckage. Take a good look, he told us, because I want you to remember this lesson the rest of your lives. That milk is gone. You can see it's down the drain and all the fussing and hair pulling in the world won't bring back a drop of it. With a little thought and prevention, that milk might have been saved, but it's too late now. All we can do is write it off, forget it, and go on to the next thing. The man said, that one little demonstration stuck with me long after. In fact, it taught me more about practical living than anything else in my four years of high school. It taught me to keep from spilling milk if I could, but to forget it completely once it was spilled and had gone down the drain. Worrying about yesterday is about as productive as crying behind spilled milk. You can't go back and change anything that you did yesterday. For that matter, you can't even change what you did two minutes ago. Once it's done, it's done. And worrying about something that has passed is a waste of energy. Chapter 12. Do you have a lemon? Make lemonade. I'd like to tell you a short story about one of my friends. My friend said that a few years ago, he found a job in a new company in a different city and decided to move there for this job with his wife. They were both excited because this job had a higher pay and they desperately needed it since they were expecting a baby in three months. Their excitement did not last long. At the end of three months of employment, he was fired. He was fired within 20 minutes. And not just that, he was fired on the last day of his trial period. You probably know that most companies have a 90-day trial period policy, and within this period, they can fire you or you can resign if you don't like the company. He was fired on the 90th day, which made the situation even more dramatic. Guess what? 
on the day he was fired, he came home and the baby started to come and they went to the hospital. So there he was in the hospital about to become a father, but without a job, without insurance, in a totally strange country with no relatives or friends and with little money left in the bank account. Plus, he had many legal issues since he was living in a foreign country with an employment visa and losing the job was like knocking down the most important stone that was holding the structure together. He was totally devastated. He didn't know how to feel. For several days, he could not stop thinking about what just happened. He could not stop blaming his boss because she knew that they were expecting a baby. He blamed his boss for not giving him any warning or notice so that he could have had a chance to fix his performance. He was constantly thinking how he would do things differently or how he would respond to his boss if he had a chance again. After several days, he said to himself, look, all this thinking and complaining will not bring back or change anything. It is what it is and it can't be otherwise. Focus on what you can do now. He gave all his free time to develop his own small business. He can now look back and say that getting fired was the best thing that ever happened to him. And he truly means it. He is happy that he was fired because if he wasn't, he would be stuck at a job and would not invest time in his own projects. Chapter 13, cooperate with the inevitable. There are many circumstances in our lives that are beyond our control. The loss of a loved one, the loss of an intimate relationship like marriage, in these difficult times, the only thing we can do is simply absorb whatever has happened and move on. Did you know that when cars were initially invented, the wheels were made out of hard materials such as metal, but they broke very often because they could not absorb the shocks on the bumpy roads. If there is a rock or other object on the road, rubber tires bend inside and then come back to normal shape. However, metal could not do it and broke. This is the same in life. The more you try to change or resist the inevitable, the more you damage yourself and break. You will last longer and enjoy smoother riding if you learn to absorb the shocks and jolts along the rocky road of life. Chapter 14, eight words that can transform your life. The biggest problem you and I have to deal with, in fact, almost the only problem we have to deal with, is choosing the right thoughts. If we can do that, we will be on the way to solving all our problems. The great philosopher who ruled the Roman Empire, Marcus Aurelius, summed it up in eight words, eight words that can determine your destiny. Our life is what our thoughts make it. The famous British psychiatrist Hadfield asked three men to submit themselves to test the effect of mental suggestion on their strength, which was measured by gripping a dynamometer. Under normal waking conditions, their average grip was 101 pounds. When he tested them after he had hypnotized them and told them that they were very weak, they could grip only 29 pounds, less than a third of their normal strength. Then Hadfield tested them a third time, telling them under hypnosis that they were very strong and they were able to grip an average of 142 pounds. When their minds were filled with positive thoughts of strength, they increased their actual physical powers almost 50%. If you forget everything in this video, remember this. You are not what you think you are, but you are what you think. Chapter 15, be yourself. Carnegie says that many people worry because they are not being themselves. 
the more you try to look like someone else, the more pain and worry you will have. You and I have great abilities, so let's not waste a second worrying because we are not like other people. You are something new in this world. Never before since the beginning of time has there ever been anybody exactly like you. And never again throughout all ages to come will there ever be anybody exactly like you again. There is a nice example in the book about a woman who was trying to be a singer, but was ashamed of her teeth. And because of that, when she was singing, she would not open her mouth fully. One day, a man from the audience approached her and told her that he knows what she's trying to hide. He told her not to be ashamed and open her mouth and sing from the bottom of her heart. She became so successful that soon after, other singers started to imitate her way of singing. Chapter 16. If you do this, you will never worry about ingratitude. You know we humans want gratitude for every small favor we do for others. If we hold a door open for someone to walk in behind us, we expect a thank you. If not, we get pissed. Let me ask you this. If you saved a man's life, would you expect him to be grateful? You might, but a famous lawyer named Samuel saved 78 men from going to the electric chair. How many of those men, do you suppose, stopped to thank Samuel? Or ever took the time to send him a Christmas card? Guess. That's right. None. Here's the point I'm trying to make in this chapter. It is natural for people to forget to be grateful. So if we go around expecting gratitude, we are headed straight for a lot of heartbreaks. If you are doing something, do it for the joy of it. And don't expect anything in return.
Before reading the book Why We Sleep, I believed that sleep is non-productive activity that we naturally do, but I was wrong. Sleep is the single most productive thing that you can do during the day. In this video, I will explain the wonderful things that happen when you get enough sleep and the alarmingly bad things that happen when you don't, both for your brain and for your body. It is proven that men who routinely sleep just four to five hours a night have a level of testosterone that is that of someone 10 years their senior. An equivalent amount of impairments happen in female reproductive health as well. Now, let's look at the brain and the process of learning and memory. It was already scientifically confirmed that you need sleep after learning to hit the save button on those new memories so that you don't forget. But recently, it has been confirmed that you also need to sleep before learning in order to prepare your brain. When you sleep before learning, your brain becomes like a dry sponge ready to soak up new information. And without sleep, the memory circuits of the brain become blocked and you can't absorb new memories. To prove this hypothesis, the author took a group of individuals and divided them into two groups, a sleep group and a sleep deprivation group. The sleep group got a full eight hours of sleep but the deprivation group was kept awake under supervision. And then they asked both groups to learn a list of new facts and the result was significantly different. The sleep deprivation group scored 40% less compared to the sleep group. To put this in context, 40% is the difference between getting an A and failing miserably on the exam. There's a structure that sits on the left and the right side of your brain called the hippocampus. And you can think of the hippocampus almost like the informational inbox of your brain. It's very good at receiving new memory files and then holding on to them. And when you look at this structure in those people who had a full night of sleep, we see lots of healthy learning related activity. Yet in those people who were sleep deprived, activity level was very low. So it's almost as though sleep deprivation had shut down your memory inbox and any new incoming files were just being bounced back. Sleep is also essential for your body. Let me tell you about sleep loss and your cardiovascular system and you will see how even one hour lack of sleep makes a huge difference. There is a global experiment performed on 1.6 billion people across 70 countries twice a year, and it's called daylight saving time. Now, in the spring, when we lose one hour of sleep, we see a subsequent 24% increase in heart attacks that following day. In the autumn, when we gain an hour of sleep, we see a 21% reduction in heart attacks. Isn't that incredible? And you see the same things for car crashes, road traffic accidents, even suicide rates. Now I want to focus on sleep loss and your immune system. In your body, there are cells that protect your immune system against attacks. They operate as secret service agents and protect your immunity. They are very good at identifying dangerous elements and eliminating them. If you restrict your sleep and only have four hours of sleep for one single night, you will see a 70% drop in cell activity that is protecting your immune system. That's a concerning state of immune deficiency. There is a significant amount of links between short sleep duration and your risk for the development of numerous forms of cancer. In fact, the link between a lack of sleep and cancer is now so strong that the World Health Organization has classified any form of nighttime shift work as a probable carcinogen. You may have heard of that old saying, you can sleep when you're dead. Well, it is completely unwise advice. There's a simple truth. The shorter you sleep, the shorter your life. If increasing your risk for the development of cancer and Alzheimer's disease are not scary enough for you, then let's hear this one. Lack of sleep will even destroy your biological life itself. 
your DNA genetic code. In one study, they took a group of healthy adults and limited them to six hours of sleep a night for one week. And then they measured the change in their gene activity profile. And there were two critical findings. First, a sizable and significant 711 genes were distorted in their activity, caused by a lack of sleep. The second result was that about half of those genes were increased in their activity. The other half were decreased. Those genes that were switched off by a lack of sleep were genes associated with your immune system. In contrast, those genes that were increased were genes associated with the promotion of tumors, stress, and cardiovascular disease. There is simply no aspect of your wellness that can escape from sleep deprivation. It is like a broken water pipe in your home. Sleep loss will leak down into every part of your physiology, even your DNA. At this point, you may be thinking, oh my goodness, how do I start to get better sleep? What are the tips for good sleep? I have two pieces of advice from the book. The first piece of advice is to keep it cool. Your body needs to drop its core temperature by about one degree Celsius to initiate sleep and then to stay asleep. It's the reason you will always find it easier to fall asleep in a room that's too cold than too hot. So aim for a bedroom temperature around 18 degrees Celsius. Having a hot bath before bed is also a great way to drop body temperature and sleep fast. You might also be wondering to know what to do if you go to bed but can't fall asleep. I'm sure you know that feeling of tossing around in your bed for an hour but not being able to fall asleep. So if you're staying in bed awake for more than 20 minutes, you should get out of bed and go to a different room and do something different. The reason is that your brain will very quickly associate your bedroom with the place of wakefulness and you need to break that association. To explain it differently, you'd never sit at a dinner table waiting to get hungry. So why would you lie in bed waiting to get sleepy? The second advice is regularity. Go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, no matter whether it's the weekday or the weekend. Regularity is king and it will anchor your sleep and improve the quantity and the quality of that sleep. One more thing, never snooze. Snoozing is a very stressful event for your cardiovascular system. There's a strong spike in stress chemicals when you hear the alarm. And if you keep snoozing, that it impacts you in a very bad way. This might seem a very small impact, but can you imagine its effects if you keep snoozing every day, every week, every month, every year? It is good to use the alarm, but try to get up from the first time. Many of us snooze a lot because we go to bed late and don't get enough sleep. So why not put an alarm for going to bed, not just for waking up? For example, if you're going to bed at 11, you can put an alarm for 1045 and use those 15 minutes to prepare for bed. Let's say you go to bed at 11 and wake up at 6 a.m. How would you know if this is enough for you and you had enough sleep? How would you know that you are not sleep deprived? The tricky thing about sleep deprivation is that when you are sleep deprived, you don't know that you are sleep deprived. Have you seen a drunk person who can't walk a straight line but keeps saying that he's not drunk? Well, sleep deprivation works in a similar way. Two signs to look for in order to know if you've had enough sleep or not. First, when you wake up in the morning, check if you can operate without coffee. Second, around 12 or one in the afternoon, check yourself to see if you need a nap or not. If you can continue without a nap or without being tired, then it's a sign that you had enough sleep. Sleep, unfortunately, is not an optional lifestyle luxury. Sleep is a non-negotiable biological necessity. It's your life support system. 
and the increase of sleep deprivation throughout industrialized nations is having a catastrophic impact on our health, our wellness, even the safety and the education of our children. It's a silent sleep loss epidemic, and it's fast becoming one of the greatest public health challenges that we face in the 21st century. It is now time for us to reclaim our right to a full night of sleep without embarrassment or that unfortunate stigma of laziness. Sleep does not operate as a bank. You can't accumulate a debt and then hope to pay it off at a later point in time. You can't work a lot during the week and recover from it by sleeping longer during weekends. The reason sleep deprivation has a catastrophic effect and our health deteriorates so quickly is because Mother Nature, throughout the course of evolution, has never had to face the challenge of this thing called sleep deprivation. So she's never developed a safety system against sleep deprivation. And that's why when you undersleep, things just sort of implode so quickly, both within the brain and the body. Humans are the only species that sleep deprive themselves. You can't see other species doing similar things. That is why our body and brain have no protection system against sleep deprivation, and you must prioritize sleep. There is no other way around. Wait, wait, wait. You already know what I'm about to say. Hold on. Give me a minute so we can pray together. Let's get it. Father God, we come to you as humble as we know how, saying thank you. Thank you for everything you have done. And thank you for everything that you will do in the future. Even though you don't have to do anything else, we want to say thank you. We also want to take time to ask you for your grace and your mercy. Continue to put your hands on each family members that are listening right now. Continue to put your hands on each person right now that is listening and tuning into this frequency. Continue to put your hands on them and bless their family, bless their loved ones. If they're going through loss, if they're going through confusion, if they're going through ups and downs, trials and tribulations right now, put your anointing hands on them. Let them know that they are not alone, Father God. We may not have to do it by ourselves, but anything and everything is possible with you. Father God, we want to ask you to continue to push us in the way that we should go. Push us toward our dreams. Push us toward our passion. Whatever those dreams may look like, whatever those dreams, Lord, may feel like, push us toward that. And even if we have to come out of our comfort zone just a little bit, push us out of our comfort zone. Put the people that needs to be around us around us. Put the environment that needs to be around, around us. Even if our environment right now is not great, even if we don't have the tools that we feel like we need, we got to use the tools that we got right now, Father God. Dive deeper into our lessons. Dive deeper into our career. Dive deeper into our family and continue to heal together. Continue to heal, build, and grow together. Father God, we just continue to ask for your grace and your mercy and your unconditional love. And no matter what, we know that we're not alone. We just want to say thank you, Father God, in your holy name that we all pray. Amen, amen, amen.